is the Behave Yourself podcast, a podcast about behavioral science in the global south, brought to you by the Busara Center for Behavioral Economics. I'm your host, Linda Kimaru. As a behavioral science research firm, and with the start of a global pandemic turning work from home into a standard policy, we have had to adapt the way we work, and this has caused us to think bigger and more openly about the future of work. We have engaged in a program of internal and external research to really understand what work environments fully optimize productivity as well as well-being. To help us kick off on this three-part series, Alice, a senior associate at Busara, has a candid conversation with Laurie Foster on how to use psychology and behavioral economics to think differently about our work practices. My name is Laurie Foster. I'm a professor of industrial and organizational psychology at North Carolina State University. Um, in addition to that, I am a visiting scholar at Duke University's Center for Advanced Hindsight where I am working with Joey Sherlock to apply behavioral sciences to the UN, most particularly in the context of UNICEF. Welcome to this episode of Behave Yourself, part one of the Future of Work series. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Laurie. It's really a great honor to have you. Thanks, Alice. It really is so nice to be here and I appreciate the invitation. So you mentioned that you're an organizational psychologist. So what is that and what in general are the type of questions that you're looking at? So organizational psychology is essentially the scientific study of work. And it's the application of that science to issues facing individual workers, teams, organizations, and even society. And when I say the scientific study of work, I mean that in a few different ways. One is it's applying the theories of psychology to understand human behavior in a workplace setting. And it's also applying the methods of psychology, right? Um, Which can include qualitative methods and perhaps more commonly quantitative methods within the field of organizational psychology to understand work behavior and address work-related challenges and opportunities. It can be applied at a few different levels of analysis. So one would be, you know, at the individual level, right? So we can think about, for example, executive coaching, right? Where you're one-on-one dealing with an individual or helping uh, to provide leadership development or feedback in another way. It can also be applied to organizational systems. And a lot of organizational psychologists work on setting up the right organizational systems to try to help workplaces be more productive and enhance the well-being of employees. So that could be systems like hiring, systems like promotion, systems like training, goal setting, feedback, and, and the list goes on. I'm also curious about our usage of technology in the workplace and what's been the impact of COVID on these usage trends. So now that we're much more remote and we're much more working from home, I'm wondering how does that impact employees' well-being? Does that impact productivity as well? And I don't know if you found anything in your work and anything surprising. Oh, yeah. So when we think about the impact of COVID at work, it's been immense, right? I mean, we, we, COVID is, has affected everything, but there's no doubt that it's had tremendous, huge effects on the impact of work worldwide. And some of those impacts include effects on work-life balance. So 
so we've had this unbelievably rapid shift to remote online work. So work-life balance has been huge, uh, helping people to, in some cases, people with uh, children or spouses at home, trying to manage those roles. There's both, you know, when to turn off the phone and turn off the computer bits uh, to engage in your non-work roles. But there's also sometimes some benefits of this segmentation, right, of having your work self and your home self, and now all of a sudden those worlds have collided, and that raises questions about how to manage that. There are also interesting questions to think about regarding our social relationships with our coworkers. So a lot of the benefits, I think, of work come from these informal exchanges that we have from, with people, not necessarily during the, you know, 45-minute meeting that we have scheduled, but what happens when we're walking in the room and what happens when we're walking out of the room or when we bump into them in the hallway, you know, as we're coming back from lunch. And that's hard to achieve unless we really try in this world of virtual work, just bumping into people in informal conversations because Zoom meetings have a discrete beginning, they have a discrete end. And I think we're still figuring this out, honestly, like how to replicate that possibility of informal exchanges that can not only be productive in terms of the quality of work, but can also be rewarding personally. I mean, that's part of the fun of work, right, is, is getting to know people and having those, those exchanges. Yeah, I think that's something that comes out really strongly when we talk about work from home. It becoming clear that it can work under certain conditions, but we're really missing this kind of social interaction. And as you say, like also those really informal social interactions. So I'm, I'm wondering if organizational psychology has some insights on how can we maintain these in a, in a COVID, but also in the post-COVID world. Is it that we can try yeah. to recreate this remotely or is it that we also need to adjust ourselves to maybe having less or, or uh, less meaningful social interaction at work? That's such a good question. I think that we're still figuring this out. Um, I think people, employers, psychologists, employees are going to have a lot of hunches um, uh, about how to, how to address this, which is good. Um, hunches are a good start. I think what's going to be really important is testing these hunches, though. Um, and not a headlong rush to, oh, like, here's how we fix it, right? So to the extent that we can test out different possibilities, everything from, you know, using Slack um, to not using Slack to, you know, uh, having different signals as to when you're available, when you're not available, different ways, I think, of signaling presence, but also signaling the need for privacy, I think if we test these different hunches, we'll begin to understand what works, what doesn't work, and the boundary conditions, uh, when something will and won't work, and for whom. So there, there will inevitably be some complexity in, in the answer to that question. I suspect that going back to some of the broad principles we know around what's motivating at work will help guide interventions. An example might be, there's a great theory, a macro theory of human motivation called self-determination theory. And it holds that motivation doesn't just vary in terms of quantity, 
uh, which it does, but it also varies in terms of quality. Um, so, you know, quantity, you know, we can look at two employees and we can say, oh, like, you know, she's more motivated than she is, quantity. But motivation also varies in terms of quality, and some forms of motivation are a higher quality than others. Self-determination theory would hold that autonomous motivation, uh, that's the kind of motivation that emanates, you know, from within, self-determined, is higher quality than the controlled forms of motivation, which is, sure, like, I'll do what you tell me to get this, you know, tangible thing that I want. But when this tangible thing is no longer there, or when you're no longer telling me to do it, I might not work as hard. So what we're going for is that higher quality form of autonomous, self-determined motivation. If not fully intrinsic, then at least autonomous. And so self-determination theory would hold that there are three ingredients. There is autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Um, autonomy is that we are intrinsically motivated to you know, have some freedom of choice. And when that is taken away from us too much, then our high-quality motivation can go down. So there's autonomy. Competence as human beings inside of the, output, the workplace, outside of the workplace, we enjoy the opportunity to gain mastery, to be good at something, whatever that may be, and to get better at it. And finally, relatedness, um, these relationships um, inside the workplace and outside the workplace. So as we're thinking about virtual work, it's important for us to think about how do we build those things into our solutions. I'm seeing some employers do just the opposite right now, which is really unfortunate in my opinion. For example, we're seeing employers who have sent everyone home to work because they had to, and now are putting heavy constraints on monitoring, you know, exactly what's going on all the time. Well, I mean, that runs the risk, depending on how it's managed, of robbing people of that sense of autonomy. So as we think about, like, how can we embed interventions to enable relationships um, that don't rob people of their autonomy, we should be thinking about these fundamental principles, self-determination theory is just one of them, that can be applied to our solutions. Right, so you have autonomy, competence, and relativeness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and have you identified some other kind of interesting or relevant application of behavioral economics concept to, to try to either understand or diagnose the problems in the workplace? I think there are a lot of applications right now that can be useful during COVID times and non-COVID times to come to mind. Um, one is very top of mind is an article that just came out in the Journal of Applied Psychology four weeks ago, if even, on the effects of gratitude in the workplace. It's a very nicely done study where they tested a gratitude intervention uh, where some number of people were asked to express gratitude towards their coworkers in various forms. And their coworkers independently were later surveyed to see the effects of this gratitude intervention. And they were looking to see whether that had any effects on the workplace. They did a very nice job rigorously testing this. And indeed it had positive effects. So we can think about, um, including during work from home, how to build a little more gratitude into the workplace. And if we were to use principles from behavioral economics, you know, the, the behavioral insights team has that 
uh, wonderful EAST framework, uh, make it easy, attractive, social, and timely. You can think about um, how to build a gratitude intervention that it's easy for people to do, and you know, there's a social element to it, etc. So I think that that is one example of how to use behavioral economics in the workplace during this time of COVID. So kind of like turning the lens inward and, and trying to use the same behavior science principle to make ourselves use the practices or the systems that are more beneficial to us. Exactly. Exactly. I'm still wondering, you know, what are new work norms that are emerging or that are people keeping an eye out for in order to help us kind of figure out the situation and make work better and so making interaction more meaningful. Yeah, we talked about some classic interventions from behavioral economics like gratitude that could be helpful. There are some norms or interventions or theories that have been around for a while that still apply. Um, so these include things like the importance of goal setting. So Ed Locke and Gary Latham have done a ton of research on goal setting, and I just heard uh, Katie Milkman talking about this the other day. Goal setting is as important as it ever has been, right? Making sure that the goals that we set are set properly um, in terms of they're sufficiently specific and that we're getting feedback and things like that. So that remains important um, in the workplace setting, uh, helping people to create goals, strive for them, give them feedback, um, and get rewarded and reinforced on the basis of those goals, either intrinsically rewarded, extrinsically rewarded, or some combination thereof. I think we need to consider how to uh, apply things that we know from the past to this very new virtual COVID era world of work and beyond. Talked about autonomy. Skill variety can be important, more so for some people than others, but having, you know, not doing just the same thing over and over and over again, but actually having a little bit of variety in our work role and our setting. Something called task identity can also be important. So kind of being able to do a complete task rather than think of an assembly line where we're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you don't really see the thing from beginning to end. A job that is high in task identity is one in which you're able to complete an entire identifiable piece of work. That can be helpful too, as well as task significance. So now I'm, I'm thinking about the job characteristics model um, that has said that these very factors, whether we're talking about jobs many years ago or jobs in the future, I believe these things will continue to be important. That, that's the beauty of a really good psychological theory, right, is that it's not tied to a particular piece of technology. It's, if it's a good fundamental psychological theory, then it's going to have a long shelf life. Uh, it'll look different. It'll play out differently in you know the 1980s versus 2025, but the elements of that theory can be really helpful in terms of designing interventions. Great. So we've talked about social interactions, including just, you know, chit-chat and formal interaction as actually one of the determinant of work, well-being and productivity and something that we've discovered recently. In your work, have you come across other kind of strong determinants of, of work well-being? Yeah, we talked about this element of connectedness, but at the same time, we have this need for privacy, right? And so balancing those two things, like how do we give people the privacy that they need 
while giving employers the amount of oversight they need um, when people are working remotely from home. So there's a balancing act there as well. Uh, privacy is really important. But what's encouraging to me is we've heard in behavioral economics about this power of a fresh start, right? And we also know from behavioral economics the power of norms. To me, this era of COVID, I think it's safe to say that work will never be the same again. And maybe that's a good thing because there was a lot of room for improvement in the way that organizations manage employees and the way that employees manage their own their own careers. So I think that COVID, in a sense, provides a fresh start uh, to create the workplace norms that we want, both during this work from home period and if and when we go back to work, uh, because things have already been disrupted. Disruption has taken place. So it's up to us to create the systems and the settings and the social norms that we want in place now that disruption has occurred. That's actually a really interesting point. And, you know, how they say that disruption is the kind of a time that fertile to behavior change. And, and I think we are living through one of those crises where all organizations have to just go back to the drawing board and adapt the way that they work and, you know, start also questioning status quo. And we all have a tendency to just do things as they are. But now it's an opportunity to think a little bit bigger and more open about, you know, how we want to be as an organization and how we want to work. Um, I've sometimes said the future of work is not something that happens to us. It's, it's ours to shape. And I really believe that. So I'm a big fan of solutions that are good for employers and employees alike. Fascinating. We've come to the end of our time together, Laurie. Thank you so much for the great conversation. Uh, Elise, thank you for the invitation. It really has been a pleasure. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Huge thanks to Alice and Laurie for that conversation. This episode is the first in our Future of Work series, so you can expect more episodes coming soon. Behave Yourself is a production of the Pusara Center for Behavioral Economics. Find us on Twitter at Pusara Center and read more about the work that we do on the Pusara blog on Medium. Until next time, remember, behave yourself.